Siege of New Hampshire series by Mick Rowland. Book 5, Critical Spring. Chapter 5, Back Acre, Discovery. Thanks for all this antenna gear, Walter, Martin said. He whipped the rope to send a wave up to dislodge it from the new mast. Judy's really excited about being able to hear from farther away. Walter looked down, shuffling his feet and fussing with his windbreaker zipper. Uh, yeah, excited. Uh, say, uh, you know, I uh, heard from someone farther away uh, a while back. Oh? Martin wasn't paying close attention. Walter often mentioned talking with distant people that Martin didn't know. He coiled the fallen rope around his thumb and elbow. I uh, heard from Pixie, Walter said to his feet. Mm-hmm. Wait, uh, what, what did you say? Martin dropped his coil of rope. Um, that I, um, heard from Pixie? Really? Oh, that's great! Martin's heart jumped to hear that she was okay. He had worried about her ever since she left to help with Operation Longbow. Where is she? What did she say? She, she's okay, right? Uh, when did you hear? Uh, about a month ago. What, a month ago? And you didn't say anything until now? Martin's tone was more scolding than he wanted it to be. Walter looked like a little boy who had lost his lunch money. Yeah, well, you know, everyone was so busy with that Candace broadcast thing and training for that operation against the hoodlums that... Martin threw his hands up impatiently. We weren't that busy. I mean, when aren't we busy? That's how things always are. How long would it have taken to say something? Martin erased his words by waving his hands over his head. Never mind, never mind. What did she say? Where is she? Did she get back to Ohio? Uh, no, uh, not Ohio. Uh, she's in Vermont someplace. This message was from a guy I know there, uh, Dig Dug, K1DDG. Uh, he's got a nice setup on that mountain west of Brattleboro. Martin grew impatient with the irrelevant information. Okay, okay, but what's the message? Walter slowly pulled a strip of paper from his shirt pocket. Martin gasped and stared. You've had that in your pocket for a month? Yeah, oh, of course not. I got other shirts. I just brought it today, because I figured I had to, uh, well, uh, deliver it. After a month? Martin snatched the paper from Walter's hand. Oh, darn right. The pencil scribbles were more like a random EKG readout than handwriting. Oh, what the heck is this? Hey, do you want me to read it or not, uh, Mr. Grabby? Walter held his hand out. Okay, sorry. Martin handed the note back. I've just been, I mean, we didn't hear anything beyond what Malcolm told us, and that sounded terrible. Walter cleared his throat and squinted at the paper. To Simmons, Cheshire, miss everyone a lot. I am okay, but can't come right now. Got stuff to do. Pixie. Stuff? What does that mean? Martin stooped to peer at the back of the paper, expecting more to the message. Walter shrugged. Yeah, message didn't say, yeah, but I overheard her and Dig Dug was helping some guy get medical supplies. It could be that. 
Martin felt a great weight drop off his soul. She was okay after all. Over the past month, his imagination had been cruel to him, picturing her alone, cold and hungry in some dark woods. Worse yet, he had images of her being assaulted by thugs. Those images were the worst. He tried to immerse himself in work to drown out the pictures, but his worries kept interfering with his daily duties. He had to shake it off, force himself not to think about it. He built walls in his mind. It was surprising to him how quickly his mental walls crumbled at the news that she was okay, and maybe not as far away as he thought. You really should have said something, Martin said apologetically. I know, but you and the missus seemed so happy after everything, and... Uh, Martin's face scrunched into a puzzled gape. Well, of course we're happy. What does that have to do with... It works, Judy shouted down from the bedroom window. I almost got someone in Harstead. I think the antenna needs some tuning. Help me tune for the antenna, please, Walter. Pretty please. Judy adopted her best little girl face. It was effective, especially on Walter. Yeah, be right there, Walter hollered up. I gotta go, he said to Martin. Yeah, say, could I, um, have that? Martin pointed at the note. Oh, I don't know if that's a good idea. What do you mean, not a good idea? You don't need it for anything, do you? Walter sighed heavily and rolled his eyes. He held out the note. Martin snatched it. The sound of horse hooves on gravel caught Martin's ear. Oh, they're here. You go on inside and help Judy finish getting set up. He patted Walter on the shoulder. Thanks for your help and finally delivering the message. It really was great news to hear. Okay, but you just remember, Walter held up a warning finger, don't lose sight of what you've got. Martin squinted at the obscure advice. Does he think I don't appreciate the new radio antenna? Hey, Martin, called out Robert from atop Peaches. He had a long coil of rope draped over her flanks behind the saddle. Good morning, called out Robert's wife, Jen. Beside her saddle, atop Jasmine, swung a pair of wooden double-sheave blocks. Hey, Carlos, Martin called to a silhouetted figure working in the dark shade behind the shed. It's time. Gather up that post and chains. Margaret emerged from the open garage door, wiping her hands dry on her apron. She waved to Robert and Jen. Who are you going to take out there with you? she asked Martin. Oh, Carlos. Martin slowly scraped his thumb across the edge of his axe. It wasn't razor sharp, but good enough for roots. That's all, Margaret objected. Martin, there could be raiders out there. Her tone was a mixture of nag and worry. They burned down that storage building in Harstead. That was only last week. Sally said she heard about a group of them attacked a couple just down in Wyndham while they were plowing their garden. Raiders could be up here, too. You need to take someone else with you besides Carlos. Martin slumped like a teenager being told to wear a coat to school. I'll have my carbine. He tugged on the sling strap at his shoulder. Robert has his thirty-thirty, see? Yes, and you'll both be too busy pulling stumps to be watching the woods. Well, that's why we're taking Carlos, he offered, knowing that she had already declared that as inadequate. 
Only one set of eyes. She quoted his own patrol advice back at him. He sighed, trapped by his own rules. He was about to argue that the raiders were more of a border problem. Salem, Plastel, Hudson, Nashua. The authorities in Massachusetts were sending their criminals and troublemakers across the border with little other than knives. They seldom made it farther north than those border towns. The Harstead raid and the attack in Wyndham were rare flukes. Yet it was a weak foundation for an argument. But Dustin and Trevor just started the patrol loop, he offered as a defense. I don't want to wait an hour for them to get back before we get started. Robert and Jen have their own things to do. Margaret looked around, temporarily outmaneuvered. Andy emerged from behind the shed with a small bag in one hand. Oh, hey ho, Mr. and Mrs., Andy called out, waving his bag. Hey, black walnuts, uh, back by the stream. <laughs> Squirrels missed them. Take Andy with you, Margaret said quietly. But he won't touch a gun, Martin objected. He's got eyes. You've got the gun, she countered. Oh, Andy, she called out. Over here a second. Oh, hey, sure, Mrs. S. Uh, I bet you're busting to have a look at these fine walnuts, eh, right? Uh, you can almost taste that dark, roasty goodness already. <laughs> I know I can, because, no, actually, I'd like you to go with Martin and the others to the back acre to stand and watch for any raiders while they pull stumps. <gasps> Whoa! Andy took a step back with a look of shock. <gasps> you mean like guard duty? <gasps> no way! Oh, hey, I don't mean like no way like I don't want to do it. I mean like no way like yes way. I, I mean, <gasps> hold on. Andy thrust the bag of nuts into Margaret's hand, turned, and ran into the shed. We really don't need, Martin began, another set of eyes, Margaret said, and you do too. Andy burst out of the shed door with a purple bandana tied around his forehead and a six-foot staff, a mostly debarked sapling. He pounced toward them in little bursts, twirling the staff, grunting monosyllables as he's thrust and jabbed in the air. Hee-yah! Andy tried a low-altitude pole vault to land next to Martin. Hey, pretty cool, huh? I've been working on my totally awesome bow staff for a couple of weeks, well, off and on. I figured it was only a matter of time until you felt ready enough to put me on a patrol duty or something. And when that time came, hee-yah-ha! He turned to swing the staff toward the woods. I'd be ready. Martin looked at Margaret with one eyebrow raised. He wanted to look highly skeptical, but he had to suppress a grin. Another set of eyes, she whispered. And you probably noticed my wickedly awesome purple headband, eh? <laughs> yeah, well, Donatello is my favorite mutant ninja turtle. He was the smart one, you know. He used his brains instead of always punching and fighting like Raphael. Some say the original 1987 series was the untouchable classic. Yeah, but for my money, the 2003 series, a bow staff, Andy. Martin wrestled with his smile. Margaret glanced at Martin with a hesitant look. Andy as Ninja Turtle didn't fit comfortably with her intention of an additional guard strength. But what could she say? Adding Andy was her idea. Oh, yeah, hey, I'm totally serious, Miss Dress. They say these raider dudes, they only got knives. Uh, with my trusty staff, hee-yah, ha, I can stop them before they get close. Margaret turned to conceal a worried look. 
She paused to murmur to Martin. I'll tell Trevor to come out as soon as he's back. Pfft, said Martin, with a dismissive wave and a chuckle. We'll be fine. We've got Donatello. Martin hummed a tune to himself as he looped the chain under the exposed root and set the hook. He waved to Robert, who pulled on Peaches's lead. The horse plodded away. When the rope pulled tight, Peaches stopped at the resistance. Robert swatted her flank with a leafy switch. Peaches leaned forward, digging in her hooves. The pulley squeaked as the taut rope slowly wound through the block attached to the top of the post. The stump began to lean as the chain slowly lifted the root. Martin stood by with his axe raised. He spotted a root that was bending instead of pulling free of the soil. He swung the heavy single-bit axe into the hole. The first chop made no difference. The second chop cut enough fibers that the root broke and split. The stump tilted a little faster. Muffled cracks and pops, some felt through the ground more than heard, announced the stump's surrender. With an abrupt jerk, the stump flopped on its side. The heavy wooden post fell over. Peaches stumbled a few steps at the sudden release of tension on the rope. Hey, that makes three, Martin said in a muted but happy shout. Which one next? asked Robert. He detached the rope from Peaches's strap so he could turn her around. Well, this one right here. Martin pointed to a six-inch pine stump to his right. The week before, Dustin, Carlos, and Trevor helped Martin cut down the young white pines, birch, and poplar that cluttered the back acre of his property. They needed more garden space if they were going to try to feed themselves during the next winter. This spring's planting was critical. The soil was marginal in the back acre, but he figured he could grow pole beans and rye on it. Both of those crops would improve the soil. Hey, uh, gotta say, Mr. S., Andy said as he leaned on his bow staff, I was a little surprised that you were so quick to let me come along. Martin glanced at Andy with a smile. He held the heavy post upright while Robert maneuvered Peaches into position. Uh, here, Andy, hold this chain. Keep it tight. Oh, hey, sure thing, Mr. S. I've been wanting to, you know, uh, pull more of my weight around here in the group. I know you all really dig on my edible treasures. Yeah, but there's lots of other stuff I could do. I know that, Andy. Martin tried not to sound distracted, but his attention was on the rope, running slowly through the blocks. When there was enough tension, he took the chain from Andy and looped it under the stout root on the opposite side of the stump. And I'm really liking your change of mood here today, Mr. S. My what? Martin checked the chain, then signaled to Robert. Peaches leaned into the straps. The pulley creaked. Uh, your demeanor. Uh, you're all sunshiny happy today. I mean, the past month or so, you've had, like, uh, the darkest, grayest aura of anyone I've ever known uh, that was still alive. Ever since Miss Susan left on her secret squirrel mission thing, you've been walking around with one of those dark, squiggly cartoon thought balloons over your head. It hasn't been that bad. Martin was embarrassed to hear that he had been so obvious. I've just had a lot on my mind. Lots of stuff going on. Capturing bad as was serious business. Besides, it's perfectly natural to worry about her, just like I would for anybody. Martin refocused his attention on the root that needed chopping. 
Andy chuckled knowingly. Oh, yeah, right. Just like everybody else. You can't fool me, Mr. S. Martin could feel his face getting hot. A shoebox of memories had been pulled out from under his bed. A shoebox that he didn't want to open. Uh, you're supposed to be watching the woods for raiders, Andy. Oh, I am, Mr. S. Oh, I am. I am a champion multitasker. I can be totally watchdog and chatting a fat with you at the same time. I'd believe that more if you were looking at the woods, not me. Oh, I right. Andy turned away but continued. I could see it every time you and Miss Susan were anywhere near each other. Yeah, sparky jolts of higher energy cosmic plasma jumping back and forth between you. Zippity zap zippity. Andy waved his arms back and forth, fingers wiggling. The stump pulled free of the soil. Peaches drug it for a couple of yards before Robert got her stopped. Hey, Martin was happy for the distraction. Number four. This might not take as long as I thought. He waved a thumbs up to Carlos, who stood at the other end of the woods with a shotgun. Carlos smiled briefly before returning to his serious gaze in the woods. Pine's got shallow roots, said Robert with a gloved thumbs up gesture. Maybe done before lunch. Oh, I'm not getting all judgy or anything, Mr. S. I know you're all super loyal to Mrs. S., continued Andy. Oh, she's awesome, and you two are quite a team and stuff. But Miss Susan, oh, she's your soulmate. Martin scrunched up his face. Soulmate? he said with a hint of mockery. Nonsense. Oh, no, Mr. S., it's like total sense. See, before someone is born, they float around in the cosmic ether like a little glowing ball of energy paired up with another little glowing ball of energy thing? At least, that's how I picture it. Anyhow, when we're born, our glowing ball enters our little baby bodies, but that means that we're, like, separated at birth from our glowing ball buddy, and life is a quest to be reunited with our eternal soulmate. Andy, I don't mean to sound judgy either, but that's kind of dumb. Glowing balls in the ether? I suppose, though, if you want to believe, oh, hey, it's not just me, Mr. S., it's like science. You can't argue with science. It was the Greeks that figured out that soulmate thing. And the Greeks, well, they, like they invented science and math and some other stuff, although I'm not all that keen on math. Martin bear-hugged the large, awkward beam. He walked it backward to drag it over to the next stump. You can't believe everything the ancient Greeks thought up. Didn't they believe in unicorns, too? Oh, whoa, now, Mr. S., you can't go hating on unicorns. You'll make all the little girls cry. And you don't want that on your conscience, uh, do you? Yeah, boy, I know I wouldn't. Besides, it isn't just stuff I read about. I've seen it with my own experiential eyeballs. I've seen my own plasma zappy things. Your own? Martin shuffled soil away from the roots of the next stump. He was somewhat curious about Andy's visions, but there was work to be done. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I found my very own soulmate, too. Yeah, pretty exciting stuff. It only took me 20 years. Well, not that I was searching all those 20 years. I mean, I was a toddler. All I could think about was eating and pooping. And that and uh, my favorite dump truck, uh, Boo Boo. Martin paused to look Andy in the eye. Andy was sharing something personal, even if absurd. He deserved the courtesy of undivided attention. So who is it, your uh, soulmate? Mara, Andy announced gravely, as if declaring who had been elected the next pope. 
Martin snorted, then coughed to disguise the guffaw. Mara? he squeaked. Are you guys about ready over there? called out Robert. Um, yeah, almost. Uh, hold on. Martin hooked the chain, checked the lay of the ropes. He held up his hand as the go signal. Mara? Seriously? I mean, really? But she's so... Martin edited himself to avoid insulting Andy. The forest-dwelling hermit Mara was beautiful, shapely, and silent. No one else that Martin knew had the stealth skills to stalk coyotes and the personal steel to kill, skin, and cook them. Andy was nearly her opposite, thin, scruffy, and chatty. Oh, sure, eh? I know it's like she's Wonder Woman before she came to the big city in her, uh, like, Amazon princess mode, all leather and furs and spears. And then the, here I am, the smooth, urbane, intellectual type, with a hint of boyish charm. Uh, but the plasma has spoken, man. Mara and me, I were like totally soulmates. Martin gave Robert a thumbs up. Peaches slowly tightened the rope. You didn't tell her all this, did you? Martin asked. Oh, you mean by being my soulmate and all? Oh, I had to. It was my cosmic duty. I saw the plasma while we were back in college. It was in the library. Uh, I couldn't eat for like a whole hour after I saw the sparks. But I waited until we were all done setting up the Paleo Alpha First City of the New Age. Dawn Town. We could never agree on a name. It didn't sound like a Star Trek episode. Oh, whatever. But how did she take it? Martin winced in anticipation. He had seen Mara wild with rage. He was frankly surprised that Andy was alive. A stunned silence, Andy said gravely. Never said a thing. Just stared at me, then turned and went into her hut. Really? Martin had imagined Mara would have at least laid Andy flat with a kick in his sternum. Yeah, I was kind of expecting something else, too. Yeah, way I figure it. Uh, she'd seen the plasma like I did, but she didn't know what it was. Uh, cosmic soulmates is pretty mind-bending stuff. I figured she had a lot to process, you know, mentally. So I gave her some space for processing. Martin nodded as he turned away to hide a smile. Uh, yeah, uh, that was a good idea. A faint sound caught Martin's ear. He held the chain still so he could hear better. It was the call of a morning dove. That, in itself, wasn't unusual. They were more active now that the weather was warmer, yet there was something different about it. Martin felt the hairs on the back of his neck stand up. That was not a morning dove. The real birds had two, or maybe three, whos at the trail off of their call. Mara had used a morning dove call before to get his attention. Yet, it could be anyone. Martin waved silently to get Robert and Carlos's attention. He patted Andy on the arm. He held a finger up to his lips, held a cupped hand to one ear, and pointed toward the woods. Robert and Carlos got their weapons at low ready. Carlos looked worried. He made an X gesture across his forehead and shrugged. Martin shook his head. Raiders didn't announce themselves, but Mara sometimes did. Martin lowered his carbine to his side to signal that he didn't expect trouble. 
Carlos and Robert relaxed a little, but kept their weapons closer to low ready than not. Andy stood stiffly in a wide stance, his staff pointed at the woods. Amid the shadows in a stand of pines, Martin saw a dark shape move toward them. It was Mara. She stopped at the edge, as if the pine branches wouldn't allow her to pass into the clearing. Martin gestured to the others to stand down. He walked toward her slowly, reslinging his carbine over one shoulder. He hadn't seen Mara since that last cold spell, so the sight of her without her long mantle of furs was unusual. Her long dark hair still had its usual wild tangle to it, one long wisp draped over one of her eyes. She carried a new spear with a slender tapered knife blade lashed to the shaft. She still wore her usual knife at her hip and a coyote pelt as a shawl. Her green and black flannel shirt had lost a couple of top buttons over the winter and apparently shrunk a bit. The shapely woman within the flannel had not. Martin cleared his throat and tried hard to look only at her eyes. Uh, hey, Mara, uh, something up? Mara never made social calls. Any contact Martin had with her over the winter was strictly for some necessary business. She gestured with her spear to her right and behind her. Four men, she said in a voice husky from underuse. Martin was delighted that she had resumed talking a month ago. Even a few brief words were better than trying to puzzle out her gestures. Followed the river last night. With a head tilt, she gestured that he should follow her. Martin waved for Carlos to join them. Mara shook her head. She was not the trusting type. While Martin had earned her trust through past events, Carlos was an unknown to her. You said there were four of them, Martin reminded her. Mara frowned her disapproval at bringing Carlos. She paused as if weighing the truth of Martin's point. She squinted a frown directly at Martin. True or not, she still didn't like it. He smiled and shrugged to say, better safe than sorry. He'll stay behind me, Martin tried to sound reassuring. Are these four men bedded down for the day? Mara nodded, then turned to duck back into the woods. She moved quickly and silently, taking a twisting course around some trees between others. The quiet route is seldom the direct route. Martin had to work at keeping up with her. Carlos struggled even more so and fell behind. As they neared the small river, the gentle sound of water burbling over rocks could be heard amid the calls of nuthatches and the chatter of chickadees. Mara stepped quickly across the wet rocks to the far side of the stream. She put a finger to her lips and pointed upstream with her spear. Carlos caught up, breathing rapidly, eyes wide with apprehension. He worried about La Eques. Mara led them along higher ground that paralleled the stream. She crouched and chose her steps more carefully. Martin took special care to step where he saw her step. He motioned to Carlos to do the same. One stays awake, she whispered and pointed. She moved slower and crouched lower before finally stopping. Her gaze was fixed to the left, down a gradual slope. Between the trunks, a mixture of oaks and pines, Martin could see a patch of medium gray fabric, another patch of black. 
The four men were bedded down in a depression surrounded by a thicket of laurel, dogwood stems, and last year's dry ferns and bracken. That's quite a good hidey hole. You'd never see them until you were stepped right on them, Martin thought. He nudged Mara's elbow and drew an X on his forehead with his finger. Mara nodded. Martin could feel a bristle of anticipation. Raiders. They never came this far north. Most were killed in the border towns while trying to rob someone or breaking into occupied houses. Shortly after the people of Cheshire neutralized the hoodlum compound in Badass, the authorities in the Massachusetts cantons had begun sending their criminals and troublemakers north across the border. Those not killed, or caught in the act and summarily executed, were shipped back across the border. New Hampshire was not going to feed and house Massachusetts criminals. They were returned for Massachusetts to deal with, though with one small change. Governor Vincent liked Kutcher's idea to tattoo an X on their foreheads, both as a warning and a promise. The executive order stated that anyone returning with an X on their forehead could be shot immediately, without repercussions. Many had been shot and killed in the past few weeks. Martin thought the risk of certain deaths spoke to the poor prospects for criminals in the cantons, that so many opted to return as raiders despite knowing that they would be shot on sight. Martin had heard of bonfires on the mass border in Salem and Hudson to dispose of the accumulated dead exes. No one had yet found a raider, dead or alive, as far north as Cheshire. That seems to have changed. Carlos gasped for breath. He whispered in Martin's ear, La, la equis? Probably, Martin whispered. Go back and tell the others. Tell them to bring more help. We can't take them on without some serious numbers to our advantage. See, si. Carlos nodded and hurried back as quietly as he could. Last week, Podbean sent out email notices that they're going to be allowing political ads on Podbean-hosted podcasts. It's that season again. So, if you hear one, that's what's going on. I have little confidence that Podbean's automatic ad marketplace is going to place any ads in my Siege of New Hampshire podcasts. Maybe someone with millions of downloads gets ads, but my mere 50,000 doesn't appear to be big enough to attract any advertisers. But political campaigns can get a little silly when they're spending some time, so yeah, who knows? A much better way to support this project is by you, the listeners, buying me a cup of coffee now and then. Two bucks a cup. Cheaper than Starbucks, eh? Follow the link in the show notes or go to buymeacoffee.com slash mickroland, all one word. On the right side of that page, you'll see the word support and a little heart icon. Click that and then click the support button below. I do appreciate your support. Thanks. <laughs>